Hello and welcome to the Hoopstradamus podcast. Nice episode today. Uh, me and Kurt will be breaking down a few different things. We'll touch on some power rankings, uh, touch on the Washington Wizards, touch on some of the greatest comeback moments in uh, basketball history. Um, probably looking at a little more recent history there. And then uh, touch on the tampering stuff with Kyle Lowry and Lonzo Ball and the investigations that are ongoing there. But first, let me take a quick moment to tell you about Symbol, a new sponsor of ours, and you're going to love it. Symbol is like a stock market for sports fans, allows you to profit off your knowledge. You can trade sports teams like stocks, and every time your team wins, you earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, just like the stock market, earn cash payouts, and when your team wins, you win. Join the 7,000-plus early adopters who've started to invest in their favorite teams. Visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. When you deposit, make sure you use the promo code SD. That'll make your deposit risk-free. And then, uh, yeah, this means if you lose money, they'll refund your initial deposit. No questions asked. Join Symbol, start investing and profiting off your squads uh also spotify green room we haven't done this yet maybe we'll get to it uh download spotify green room app it is a audio only sports talk platform talk to guys like me and kurt uh get in on the conversation uh with your favorite pods talk to athletes uh you know watch games live however you want to do it a lot of ways to skin that cat and uh you know all you got to do is link up your twitter pretty easy stuff Anyway, what we're talking about today is, uh, as I mentioned, we got power rankings, Wizards, uh, comeback moments. We got Lonzo and Lowry on the tampering uh, situation there. And I got my good buddy, Kurt Schroeder. He's always huge for the program. Kurt, how we doing? Good, Adam. Uh, the weather, really nice here in Reno. Uh, dipping into the 70s in mid-November. So uh, can't complain about that. And uh, I hate to rub it in because I imagine it's probably a little bit colder in Fargo. I was just going to say, are you taunting me? Like, we, no, no, no. You're taunting me here? Outside, it's a gorgeous day. Oh, and then I realize I, I should probably bring this up, but, you know, maybe everyone around the country isn't as lucky. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, shooting some college football the other day, and I was out there in the cold, and I have some work pants with, like, a fleece lining, and I wore those to the game to make sure I could – be as warm as possible but even with the fleece pants I was my whole body was cold and so I had a little bit of time before I had to go back um and and do the news later on so I went home and I took what's called a defroster uh is what I call it and a defroster is where you just get frozen to the bone and the only way that you can you know come back to life really is to thaw out so you got to go take a hot shower and if you've seen uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, it's a lot like that Luke Skywalker scene, you know, where uh, Han Solo has to save him and then they put him in that tank. That was pretty much me after that football game. So cold. But, uh, you know, it's OK. They tell me it's only going to get worse. We ain't no puppies. We dogs. We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right out here in Fargo. Well, one of the things that comes to mind is we both I, I feel like everyone is caught up to this at, at this point, but we met in Montana 
And there are some very, very, very cold games that we have covered in Montana. Yeah. So one of the first things that I did when I moved there was I went straight to the sporting goods store and bought the thickest, biggest, heaviest uh, snow pants, jacket, gloves, beanies, like all sorts of stuff. Or else, as Adam mentioned, you will freeze. And uh, North Dakota is probably the same way, if not worse. So, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely some cold climates out there for you, Foo. You're not making it easy on yourself. No, no. I mean, I don't know what I'm thinking. Like, Colorado was relatively mild, at least. Um, It wasn't as intense as the Chicago winters. Like, it would be equally as cold, but I can't explain it. I think it's just the uh, more moisture in the air, perhaps, in Chicago with the lake. And so it was like more of a biting cold. It would really hurt your skin. It would kind of sting. And then uh, Great Falls, I think the trouble with that winter was it was so dark, you know, like it seemed like the sun would disappear for days at a time sometimes. And so uh, those were some very, very cold and sunless winters there. And yeah, now Fargo, um, I've been just everyone talks about like, oh, why'd you move here? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, man. I got to gotta live somewhere, you know, live, move here for the job, clearly. But uh, everyone's hyping this winter up like it's Game of Thrones. And uh, shout out to Brandon Blakeney, uh, one of my partners out here. He, uh, he's been living in North Carolina. And so he, that's what he said. He's like, it feels like Game of Thrones, man. Everyone keeps telling me winter is coming. And like the other day, when it was snowing, he's like, oh, man, I can't take this. I'm like, dude, you don't even know what's coming. This is 30. Like, this is warm. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing that comes to mind about Montana was the wind. Yeah. It, it was really windy all the time. And, yeah, that'll cut up your hands, cut up your face. Uh, yeah, I mean, 30, uh, there were times in Montana when you have, like, seven months worth of winter that you'd be praying that it just got to double digits. I mean, I, I remember when we went out. Uh, for New Year's Eve, transitioning obviously into New Year's Day um, from 2017 to 2018. And we get out of the bar and it's like negative 17 or or whatever it is. And that's the the true value of the uh, of the temperature. And then with wind chill, it was like negative 40. Yeah, we got to hop in this Uber. Yeah, we're going to freeze out here. So, yeah, uh, obviously 30 is cold. You know, I, I don't want to throw shade Brandon's way, but man, I guess be grateful that it's uh, close to freezing because yeah. there will be times where it's not. Go get your wool socks now, Brandon. Go yeah, get your wool socks now. <laughs> um, speaking of temperatures, let's talk about the hottest teams in the NBA. Uh, quickly, I will say that uh, the coldest team right now, we just did an episode of the full court trap. This will probably come out before that, but one of the questions was, uh, and I'm going to hit you with this question. So if you had to take a guess, the team with the worst differential right now, on an average game, they're losing by 11 points. Who do you think it is? Wow. I mean, the coldest team in the NBA. It's in a hot climate. Yeah. I'll I'll say off the top of my head. I don't know. I do know the Rockets are absolutely atrocious. There it is. There it is. There it is. I was going to say, I feel like that's the obvious pick, though. So maybe you're, you know, trying to have me outsmart myself or think too much into the question. But, yeah, I mean, the Rockets are awful. So cool. that would be my, my take. So I, I'm glad that I'm correct there. Um, yeah. And then another thing I was thinking about, 
Is it safe to say Detroit is the worst sports city in America right now? And I mean, if you like Lions are still winless. Yeah. Detroit is what what are they? The the Pistons are the second worst team in the league. Yeah, like and you could make a strong case that they're the worst team in the league, especially after they got their ass kicked last night. Yeah, they're three and ten. Okay. So I, they're not like technically the worst by record, but yeah, fourth to last. Yeah, got got absolutely bamboozled last night. At one point last night, they were down forty-two to sixteen to the Kings, who aren't exactly a championship contender. Yeah, I mean the, you know, this isn't going to shock anybody, I guess, but the Tigers did sign Eduardo Rodriguez yesterday, the Red Sox uh, starter, who uh, is surprisingly good despite only having a couple pitches in his repertoire. Just uh, you know, most people down gives you six innings maybe two, three runs, quality starts every time he goes out there. So I guess things are looking up for the uh, the Tigers a little bit. Now, I, I do quickly just want to pull up the standings because the Red Wings have been horrendous in recent Red years. Wings, yeah, I'm, I'm checking. And They're I, eight and seven right now. That's okay. okay, I guess. But I guess, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I can't think of a, a sports city that's in worse shape. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in terms of totality, because obviously the uh, Detroit area has four – of the major four sports teams. Um, but yeah, if you're hanging your hat on the eight and seven Red Wings, it kind of goes to show that the other teams aren't doing so hot. So uh, I'd agree with you there, Adam. And I think that that's been a trend for a while. Unfortunate. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, I thought Dwayne Casey was going to kind of have like, I thought the Pistons were going to be like marginally better this year. I thought they were going to take think, steps forward. I think marginally they are. <laughs> it's just still not good. That's sad. <laughs> That's sad because they are uh, the second worst differential. They were like a 10.6. Absolutely hurt, just an embarrassment, an embarrassment. Um, and that that Steelers Alliance game was like barely even watchable. But yeah, <laughs> when you have a lot of punts in overtime, it's, it's just not good. And I don't know if the Lions can even feel good about themselves at that point because, OK, you didn't lose. But like you're still looking for that win nine games into the season. It's time to bring back Joey Harrington. This isn't working. Oh boy. No, I, I, God, <laughs> I, I, I really feel for Dan Campbell just because like you can tell that his heart is so in it and his players really want to play well for him. They're just not good. So yeah. it's, like, it's just really tough. And uh, I really like Jared Goff coming out of college. Uh, I don't like Jared Goff in the pros, man. He was it's, pretty it's good. Awful. I felt like for a season or two at the Rams, but maybe it was just McVay. You led him to a Super Bowl. Well, leading might be a little bit too generous there. Uh, was a part of a team that went to the Super Bowl. Unreal. Unreal. So, yeah, the teams that we're talking about are going to be a lot better. Yeah. Uh, Adam, why don't you hit me with number five in our power rankings? All right. So, uh, we got two different lists. My list, number five, is the Washington Lizards. That's right. You heard me. I said lizards because they're imposters. We'll get into it. But um, yeah, technically, they're the best team in the East. <laughs> technically. <laughs> they're 10 and three. They've won five games in a row. Like, they're not bad. They're not bad. And like, when you're number one in the East, like, sure, you're going to you're gonna make the power rankings. Like, I, I'm, I'm giving them the respect that I feel they are due. They are my number five best team in the NBA. But I, I just don't buy it. 
Kurt, they haven't had any quality wins. Uh, I mean, I'd argue that beating the Grizzlies is good. Okay, but... yeah, yeah, and they beat the crap out of them. You're right, you're right. I take that back. I take the, that back. I like the Cavs are also above 500, but again, yeah, it, it's not like they're beating you know some of the other teams that we have higher on our list for sure. Yeah. I see your reservations. Yeah, I mean they, they beat the Bucks, but the Bucks like didn't. The Bucks haven't been full strength. I don't know. I mean they 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 are my number five, but we'll, we'll get into that more later. Um, credit where credits due. They. Uh, have been really well coached. Wes Unsell Jr. is doing a tremendous job. And uh, it's, it's kind of this team where, like, we didn't really know what they were going to look like going into the season because so much of their identity was wrapped up into Russell Westbrook down the stretch last year. But Kyle Kuzma's playing the best ball of his career. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is, like, really just an underrated player. Uh, Montrez Harrell is back to form. He's, like, doing 18 and, and 9. And, uh, you know, Bradley Beal's not doing the scoring he was last year, but he's been uh, really nice, 23 a game. So, yeah, what about what about you? Well, I'm second-guessing my list a little bit. I'm going to stick to it. Um, but, yeah, th- there's a team that uh, should be on there that isn't, and uh, you can grill me for it later. Uh, number five, Dallas Mavericks. Um, I have them in there just because they've won five out of their last six. So they're playing really well. Right. Um, and part of the reason for that is obviously Porzingis and Luca have been healthy, which is good. Uh, Porzingis they're actually using. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to be a recipe for success. If you keep like both of those guys healthy, that has obviously been the number one thing where we're kind of like, okay, what are the Mavs? Are they going to be good? Are they not going to be good? I feel like for the most part, that's all explained through the health of their superstars where well, they've been healthy. So that's good. Um, wins over the Nuggets and Celtics. And then if you want to go back, I know that, you know, we don't really think too highly of the teams I'm about to mention, but they're in the playoff picture at this point. Uh, They beat the Raptors and the Kings as well. Um, And I think one of the things that stands out to me, when you look at like the team stats of the Mavericks, they're not really in the top half, which isn't all that impressive, but they're nine and four and they have the lowest turnovers per game at 12, uh, 12.4. So if you're taking care of the basketball, your superstars are healthy. I think that that is a good explanation for why this team has rattled off a, a nice little win streak here. Five of six, you can call it a, a streak. But Adam, I think you got me on your uh, your number two team, but that's okay. We'll, we'll keep it moving. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I really like your pick with the Mavs here. Um, to be completely transparent, I think the Mavs are vastly superior to the Washington Lizards. Uh, I think that it's, it's not that close and you look at this team and just two seasons ago, the advanced numbers said they had the best offense ever, you know, like they were, they were so hard to stop and they still have that offensive potential. And you'll see every once in a while, they'll just like go up on somebody and it'll get ugly so fast. And that's the Luca effect as well as, you know, uh, the players they have around him. One thing I really like about uh, their scheme is they're really doing a good job spacing the floor. They're uh, taking 39 threes a game. That's second most in the league. And uh, they're not shooting at a super high clip. They're shooting right at the Mendoza line at uh, 33.3% from three. So that's actually 24th, not shooting a great percentage, but I like what they're doing. 
And then uh, going into the season, the biggest thing I wanted to see was less shots for Luca and more shots for Porzingis. So Luca's taken 21 a game and Porzingis has taken 16. And I think that's where it should be. And another guy who's been absolutely tremendous has been Jalen Brunson. And uh, Brunson's just like the perfect fit for uh, the Mavericks bench because he's someone you can bring in as a really nice backup point guard. He's going to make good decisions with the basketball or you put him at the shooting guard. And in his recent games, he's been really nice. He's averaging 15 points a game on the year. One of the best bench guys in the NBA, straight up. Um, most recently, yeah, last night in a very impressive win against the Nuggets, he had 17 points and six assists and uh, splashed in a three. He had a pretty nice game against the Bulls, 12.7 assists. And then a very nice game against the Pelicans. And this is the Pelicans where he was a plus 26 on the box score, uh, 17 points, six assists, four rebounds. And so it's always great when your role players can help you uh, by making that big of an impact. And then, you know, we've talked about Tim Hardaway Jr. before. And um, Luca's not doing anything crazy. I mean, he is, but not by like Luca standards. But I think it's really good that the Mavericks are less Luca centric because that's going to allow them to be deeper in the playoffs. And like you look at the early Michael Jordan, you know, like I, I wasn't alive, right? But I, I look at LeBron James and the way he came into the league, and he was immediately a focal point. And that's where I see Luka Doncic. And now I know the history very well with Michael Jordan, where he comes in and it took the Bulls a few years to get going. Now, Luka Doncic came into a better organization than Jordan did. But Jordan really didn't do much until he was still the guy, but he had to get the other guys involved more. And so I think this is the next step. It's the beginning of the next step for the Mavericks going from a team that is good and uh, extremely fun to watch because of Luka Doncic, but taking that next step into this team should be contending for championships for years to come. Like you said, a lot of that is dependent on health. And if Porzingis stays healthy and him and Luka continue to kind of build on this chemistry and keep finding each other, there's no reason the Mavs can't make the finals. Yeah. That's a great explanation. Obviously it's really early in the season right now and health has always played a factor in terms of how far they can go. So you just got to pray that uh, Porzingis and Lucas stay healthy. And as a Celtics fan, you're real sick and tired of Luka Doncic hitting these contested game winning three pointers because he's not a good shooter. And then he just <laughs> does it when it matters. And he's done it to a lot of teams. It's very frustrating, uh, but it, that's anyway. Conversation for a different day. Uh, number four, Adam, who do you have? I have the Phoenix Suns, who are just a game ahead uh, at 10 and three over the Mavs, who are nine and four. And the Suns, uh, they've had some good wins. Uh, they, they beat the Lakers, lost uh, opening night to the Nuggets, but, you know, beat the Pelicans. Or I'm sorry, uh, the Cavs, they did beat the Pelicans too, but who cares? We could beat the Pelicans. Uh, no, we couldn't. Uh, but, the, you know, beat the Hawks, who are still kind of figuring things out, but uh, beat the Grizzlies on the road. Uh, won a close one last night against the Timberwolves. And the Timberwolves are like this weird team where they're like 
the best bad team in the NBA, you know? And so like, even though you should beat the Timberwolves, it's a good win. You know, it's like, they're, they're such a trap game. Um, but I think with Phoenix, it's just, it's the same. It, like they're, they're just running it back. Uh, I think JaVale McGee has been a nice addition. One dude who I'm absolutely thrilled from an extremely biased standpoint is uh, Frank Kaminsky, who went to uh, Bennett Academy in Illinois. And I was actually at a game uh, when Kaminsky was a senior. He was playing against uh, St. Francis High School, where uh, my dad went. And so we would go to a lot of St. Francis games. And Kaminsky, uh, you know, all I knew was this dude's a big deal. He's going to Wisconsin. That's why I went to the game. And he, like, turns his ankle and all the St. Francis fans are cheering that he got injured. It was pretty ruthless. He like goes out for pretty much the whole third quarter or something like that. I don't know. This is over 10 years ago at this point comes back in and just silences everyone. Like, it's like, Oh, you're going to, you're going to cheer when I get hurt. I'm going to rip your beating heart out of your body. All right. And then we're going to see how that goes. And that's pretty much what he did. Metaphorically speaking. Um, and it was, it was crickets in there. Uh, but it is very cool to see Kaminsky, a native of Winfield, Illinois, kind of carve out his role. Cause this is a guy who kind of like bounced around a little bit. He was briefly on the Kings and they caught him and then the Suns brought him back, but he's honestly like having a nice little year, uh, 10 points a game shooting 38% from three. Um, but yeah, I I've already taken talked way too much about Frank, the tank. But it's the same Suns team, dude. You got Chris Paul setting people up. Uh, Mikael Bridges continues to take steps forward in his development. Uh, pay DeAndre Ayton. Pay DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> uh, but it's a good squad, man. Like, you know what you're getting out of them. Yeah, one of the things that comes to mind looking at Phoenix is they started one and three. And we knew that they were too good to continue on that bad stretch. Um, so they've won nine games in a row and that stands out to me. Um, so 10 and three after starting one and three. Um, and one of the things that comes to mind too, and this is why I don't have them a little bit higher is that they've just been feasting on some bad teams. Mm -hmm. So the Timberwolves, as you mentioned, uh, they beat Houston twice who only has, I believe still one win on the season. Yeah, I believe that's correct, sir. Yeah, Rockets are, are just Terrible. Uh, JaVale McGee playing really, really well in place of DeAndre Ayton. Uh, was it a couple nights ago where he had a, a really efficient game? Uh, Nevada Wolfpack legend JaVale McGee. There you go. Um, Olympian. And then Olympian, yes. Yes. Um, DeAndre Ayton back with 22 points. Uh, I believe it was last night was their last game. So, yeah, good to see him. Um, I like kind of agree with you about bringing him on. It's obviously dependent on the money. Um, I think you need a big, he's obviously extending that, uh, that range. I think that he could be a, you know, much better than what he is for sure. You yeah. just have to figure out, you know, where does he fit in with the cap space? I think that because he's so young and the upside is so high, you have to bring him back. Um, just, you know, you got to figure out roster construction with everybody else, especially too, because Chris Paul can't be there forever. So uh, Phoenix Suns, 10 and three. My fourth spot as well. We have we're in agreement here, Adam. I got a quick sidebar question for you, and a brief backstory to this. So yesterday, uh, the sports department was hanging out 
So uh, I played a little 2K, got on the sticks with Brandon. He's got a very high basketball IQ. And uh, I was the Bulls. And this is with roster updates. So I have no Nikola Vucevic. And Brandon just destroyed me inside because I got Tony Bradley on him. And it's like Tony Bradley and Derek Jones Jr. You just back me down and back me down. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Nothing I could do about it. And so after the game, he was talking about how great Aiton is and uh, how he thinks he's a top five center. And we both kind of came to the conclusion he's like right around that four or five range. I have Vucevic ahead of uh, Aiton. He had Aiton ahead of Vucevic. Who's better, Nikola Vucevic or DeAndre Ayton? Vucevic when healthy. Yeah. It's, I mean, he's just more established at this point. You know what you're going to get from him. Like I, like I said, I think DeAndre Ayton is higher upside, but, I mean, Vucevic is 20 and 12 every night. Yeah. In and a, like, lock, knockdown three-point shooter. Yeah. And it, at this point, I don't think that you can consider Ayton to be a 20 and 12 guy every single night. Yeah. So, so he gets to that. Sure. Yeah, it's I mean, if both are healthy, give me Vucevic for sure. Yeah. Um, I could see Aiton though surpassing him in terms yeah. of like career accomplishments later on down the road. But yeah, Vucevic, that's I don't think that that's up for debate. And I do think like Aiton's probably my number five. Like my top five setters in the league right now. It's Jokic, Embiid, Bam, Vuce, Aiton. Yeah, it's also difficult when you have to figure out who is a true center. Because yeah. there, there's so much position, you know, versatility there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, just listen those five off. Um, you wouldn't get an argument from me. I'd have to go down the list to see if there is someone who I, I could make an argument for. But off the top of my head, that sounds like a pretty solid list when all healthy and contributing. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on down. So uh, my number three team is not number two because they got their ass kicked by the number two team on my list. Uh, but that's the Brooklyn Nets and they play, uh, the Warriors tonight. So that's super exciting. Um, Kurt, what can I, what, what can we say that hasn't been said about the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, uh, I don't think anyone was like, Oh, they're going to be so screwed without Kyrie Irving. It was like, all right, cool. They like have, they don't have their least important piece of their, you know, ridiculous, uh, like biggest three ever. And shocker, James Harden and Kevin Durant are doing a fine job holding down the fort. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I think, I don't know when I said this, but I was just like, okay, the second that the Nets brought on Harden, it, I don't want to say that they're better off without Kyrie. I think if, you know, Kyrie is buying in and he's being a team player and he's, you know, doing what he typically does, which is being very efficient, scoring the basketball. And just putting on a show, I think that the Nets are better with him. Having said that, yeah, like I feel like the the recipe for success in the league now is you need at least two stars or superstars. And like KD and James Harden are, you know, maybe more than superstars. I mean, you can't group them with First everyone. Ballot Hall of Famers. Easily. Historically great. Yeah. Top so five ever at their position. Yeah, so it's like when you throw out the word superstar and, you know, who fits that mold, who kind of is a tier below in like the star category, KD and James Harden are at the tippy top of the superstar category, in my opinion. So, yeah, you don't necessarily need a lot around them. Um, I, I Well, how should I do this? Um, Brooklyn's my number two team. 
I guess I'll get into my explanations a little bit after this. Uh, let me just finish my uh, my number three team. I have the Washington Wizards at three. And it's just one of those things where you're 10 and three, you're at the top of the East. You kind of have to put them in there. Do I think it's going to last? Not really. Um, I already mentioned they beat the Grizzlies and they beat the Cavs who have been, you know, kind of outperforming what we thought. Uh, and I think one of the things that's really interesting and part of the reason why I don't think it's going to be sustainable is the Wizards are finding ways to get the most out of every single player on their team. And I just don't think that you can expect that for an entire season. So like Kuzma has been a lot better than we thought. Dinwiddie's been healthy and he's been good. Beal has been nice when he's been in there. Uh, Montrez Harrell, uh, clearly just not a good fit with the Lakers yeah. because he was really good with the Clippers and he fits well with the Wizards out in transition in the small ball lineups. Um, and one of the things that stands out to me, so in their recent winning streak, uh, which I believe is at five in a row, um, I'd have to double check that. But there was a stretch there where they won four games in a row and they kept their opponents under 100 points. And so they're getting it done defensively. And then they also just beat the Pelicans and kept them at a hundred. So now they if, did go down 19 against the Pelicans too, but they won the game, won the game. So it, it's one of those things where if you can play really, really good defense, and if you can maximize the talent on your roster, because there are some good pieces there. I think that our questions were like, obviously the wizards are going to wizard or lizard, as you say. <laughs> um, and you know, how long is it going to last? Cause it's an 82 game season. And you know, in the first 13 games, can you really go 10 and 10 and three every single 13 game stretch? I don't think that you can expect that from this team, but yeah, do it defensively, have everyone stay healthy, keep Brad Beal on the roster because he's been rumored to be traded every single off season. And even during the season for like the past three years. Yeah. Um, And if you're getting everything that you can possibly get out of those guys, that's why they're outperforming. And that's why I have them at three, but I'm with you. I don't think it's going to last. Yeah. Yeah, man. I just, like you said, uh, you did say Montrez Harrell's been great. And believe it or not, he's actually leading the team in player efficiency by a wide margin. Mm-hmm. So uh, 28-3-5, which is historically great. But I think that's a microcosm of the Wizards right now. Like, cool, man, good start. <laughs> like, let's, let's play 82, though. Yeah, yeah, let's see what happens. Um, so I put a little asterisk next to them at number five. I, I do my show notes by hand. I drew, drew a little star, you know, like, okay. all right. Yeah. Okay. You're here now. It should be the Mavericks, but you're here. Sure. We'll give you the respect. For sure. Now I, I do want to quickly just hop into my number two here, Adam, just because, because we already talked, uh, touched on them a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I, I have Brooklyn at number two, 10, four on the year. Um, no Kyrie, James Harden, I, I think it's been very interesting to watch him adapt to the new foul rules because clearly yeah. these rules were to keep him from doing his nonsense. You, you can pretty much call them the Harden rules. Yeah, it's, I mean, what is he down, like 10 points a game? Still trying to figure out. So when you're not at the free throw line more than anyone in the league every freaking year, then yeah, you're going to have to earn it from a skill standpoint, which obviously he's extremely skilled. Um, but I think he's like, he might be under 20 a game. 19. Yeah, exactly. Which is like unheard of because he's usually at like 29, 30. Um, so he's still adjusting to that. And, you know, I'm not going out on a limb when I say this at all. It's been said. Kevin Durant, best player in the world, leading the league in scoring. So and right now you can make an argument. It's it's crazy because this guy's coming back from uh, an Achilles injury. Uh, I mean, he's been back from it now, but we didn't know what we were going to see. He's second in the NBA right now in player efficiency rating at uh, 29, 6, 8. He's first in the NBA in points. 
uh, at 29-6. And he's averaging eight and a half rebounds a game and five assists. Like, you can make a legitimate case that he's having his best season in the NBA right now. And right now he's, like, the two dudes who won their conference's player of the month are the only dudes in my MVP conversation right now. I think Curry and KD. Yeah, the things that stand out to me too is he's shooting 59% from the field. From the field. That's preposterous. Preposterous, especially as a guy who shoots the ball as much as he does. So it's not that, you know, he's getting lack of volume and lack of touches. He's shooting the basketball a lot and converting them a lot. And 42, uh, what is it, 42.4% from three. So he's lighting it up from there. Uh, Free throw number is a little bit down. So he's, you know, not necessarily going to get the the 50, 40, 90 mark that everyone covets unless you uh, make a a run here because he's at 84% in the free throw shooting department. But yeah, eight and a half boards. um, That's, you know, something that we haven't really seen from him in the past being like kind of the the upper tier of rebounders. But yeah, leading the league in scoring, extremely efficient. And I mean, this field goal percentage – I mean, for a career, he's 49-6, and he's shooting 58-6 right now. Stuck at nine percentage points higher. And, I mean, 50% from the field is also insane for a career. And just 9% higher than that, insanity. This is a cherry-pick stat if I've ever said one. But there was a two-game stretch where he did not miss a three. He did not miss a single three. Uh, he, He went two for two against the Mavericks, or I'm sorry, the Magic uh, last Wednesday. And then he followed that up the the next, or two days later, three for three against the Pelicans. So like two games in a row where he shot 100% from three, that's good. It's really good. It's not bad. Yeah. Not bad. All right, Adam, (laughs) this is is where I messed up. Your number two team, very strong case. The reason I didn't have him in here, uh, lack of research lack of noticing the very quality wins that they have had. Um, So take it away. Number two, the floor is yours. Oh yeah. The Chicago bulls. Not only are they, uh, you can see here, let's talk about this. All right. The wizards technically ahead in the standings, but like the bulls are beating the brakes off good teams. All right. They're, they're like, they just swept both LA teams. And I think that's a major indication of like how, hot this team is but you want to talk quality wins like that's four games in the season sure started out 4-0 first time uh since 1996 and then you lose the Knicks in a real tight game but then you beat the Jazz you you come back and smoke the Celtics you lose two games to the Sixers and the Sixers are clearly a tough matchup for them especially when Embiid's out there but even with Drummond you know, because that, that might be the way you beat the Bulls. The Bulls are a small ball team. Sixers are the best big ball team. Uh, but then they beat the Breaks off the Nets, 118-95. Beat the Mavs, 117-107. That's a primetime win right there. Uh, they were in the game against the Warriors, but the Warriors are, spoiler alert, they're my number one team, and they should be everyone's number one team right now. Clippers and Lakers go down against the Bulls. And so to win two games to start that circus trip, or not to start that circus trip because the first game of the circus trip would have been against the Warriors, but to sweep the LA teams, that is, that should be putting everyone on notice. And I think what's crazy is 
I mean, people were saying that DeMar DeRozan was the worst signing of the offseason. You know, people said he was he was washed. Give me a break, dude. This guy was doing 27 and 7 last year. 20, comma, 7, comma, and 7. Not 27 points. But this year he is doing 27 points. The dude's averaging uh, 26.9 points per game. He is a really good passer. And when you look at this Bulls team, it's a team of playmakers. And I think that that is one of the reasons they're so hard to stop. And so uh, they can obviously play really well in isolation with DeRozan in Levine, but they're doing all this and they're doing this right now without Nikola Vucevic. And so, you know, they've listed Alex Caruso at the power forward for a couple of games. Now I think they're being facetious. I think like they're just having fun with it. The, the power forward in those lineups is DeMar DeRozan. But at this point, the Bulls are the fourth best in terms of points allowed. I think a lot of people had question marks on the defensive end, but they're uh, only allowing 102.7 points per game. Uh, Alex Caruso has had his hands all over the basketball on the defensive end, and I think that is extremely uh, key. He's tied for second with your your boy Marcus Smott. Uh, he's got two and a half steals per game, and uh, just been a crucial piece because he's the one who's guarding Paul George and doing a really good job. You know, he does a good job against Steph Curry as good a job as you can do. Uh, Team leads the NBA in uh, free throw percentage at 85%. Like I'm not someone who typically looks at free throw percentage, but like 85, damn. Uh, You'd like to see the bulls maybe shoot a few more threes, but at the same time, when they do shoot them, they're, um, fourth in percentage uh, 36 nine but they're 30th in three pointers attempted uh fifth in overall field goal percentage and i think that what that says is they're playing smart basketball and they're just like finding good looks and when i watch the bulls the biggest thing that stands out to me is it's anybody's basketball they have this team of with some elite scorers you have three elite scorers and then Lonzo Ball is a damn good scorer, too, who's not putting up the best numbers of his career, but he's playing the best basketball of his career, and he's shooting the lights out, all right? Lonzo Ball, anyone who still thinks Lonzo Ball can't shoot, you're just wrong. You're just plain wrong. Like, at this point, he's had three years of 38 or better from three, but this year he's shooting 44%. We need to start talking about Lonzo Ball as a sniper because he is. It's not, oh, if he gets that shot figured out, it's figured out, folks. Like, pay attention, tune in. Uh, Lonzo Ball is a scorer. Lonzo Ball is an all-around point guard. And he's so incredibly important to what they're doing on both ends of the floor because he's a terrific long defender. And he's another guy in that defensive end who's done a phenomenal job, averaging just under two steals a game. And someone who hustles his ass off, gets back on chase down blocks. Uh, Everything's kind of running through Lonzo. And also the versatility of having the 6'6 point guard who can guard post players in the modern era. Like he's someone who's can, when I was at that Bulls Knicks game, Patrick Williams goes out and they put Lonzo Ball on Julius Randle. They brought on help side defense, but 
it makes it very easy for Billy Donovan, who deserves at this point, Billy Donovan's looking like the coach of the year, not close, but he deserves, well, Steve Kerr, but different discussion, but you know, he deserves a lot of credit the way he's using Lonzo ball, but Lonzo ball deserves a lot of credit for the different ways he can be used. And so I think that the bulls are, if they were a Batman uh, villain, they'd be the Riddler. And so far the league, most of them can't really solve it. The Sixers have, uh, but I think that there, you could make a case that the bulls are the most dangerous team in the East right now. I do think they are the best team in the East right now, especially because they beat the breaks off the nets. And so um, technically it's the wizards, but you know, head to head bulls, you know, it wasn't really much of a ball game when they played Brooklyn. And I think Brooklyn's the ultimate litmus test right now in the Eastern conference. And so I'm very excited to see uh, what this team does long-term, but just at a glance, this is the best bulls team since at least, you know, like the 2011, 2012 team uh, during the shortened season where the Bulls still managed to win 50 games. Like this team looks like they're going to win 60 games this year. And I thought that they'd go way over on the 41 and a half, but I didn't expect them to be sitting this pretty, this early. It's come together quick and they are a force to be reckoned with. I think the issue with Lonzo was always the volume. I don't, I mean, certainly people questioned it, his shooting ability just because of his form. But I think a lot of people were like, he just needs to do more shoot more, get to the cup more. And now that he just looks like he's not really playing conservative basketball anymore. He's playing free. He's playing his brand of basketball. Because no one questioned his ability, his skill. It was just like, we got to see more of what's going on. And for whatever reason, it's working there in Chicago. So they're getting the most out of Lonzo Ball. Yeah. And uh, we'll continue to see how they can manage this road trip without Vucevic because, damn. To beat both LA teams without your, I don't know what is your, you can make an argument with all three of their big three that you don't know which one's the best of them. They're all like A minus players, in my opinion. DeRozan, who has been the best so far this season, but like DeRozan, Levine, Vucevic, you could make a compelling argument that either one of those guys is the best player on the team. But the fact that they're doing that without Vuce, and I want to give credit, you know, we talked about Vuce as a walking around 2012 guy. I mean, he's taken a back seat. He's only averaging uh, 13, 14 points a game this year, but it's because it's what the team needs him to do. Like the, the team's better with him being like, there's some games he could score more. He's had some rough nights uh, shooting the basketball, but the fact that he's able to take a step back and have a lesser role because the team needs him to do that is a great illustration of how the bulls are built right now, because everyone's kind of like just sacrifice. Like, Hey, what do we got to do to win? Does that mean I shoot more? Does it mean I shoot less? And so it's very well constructed. And you mentioned Lonzo ball and the way they're using him. Like, yeah, he's the perfect fit. There isn't another point guard in the NBA besides maybe LaMelo ball that would fit this Bulls team better, but LaMelo and Lonzo are very similar animals and uh, Lonzo's a better defender. So I think Lonzo ball is the best possible fit for the Chicago Bulls. And uh, even though he's not 
their best player. You could make an argument that he has been their most valuable player. Because if you took him off, then this team might have a bit of an identity crisis because essentially then you'd have to ask Alex Caruso to be Lonzo Ball. And that's all I got to say about that. Who do you got at number two? Uh, Brooklyn. Or, or the Nets. Yeah. The Nets, right. Yeah. So we're both at number one. We both know it's the Warriors. Both know it's the Warriors. Yeah. Uh, best record in the league. That's easy. Beat the crap yeah. out of the Bulls. Beat the crap <laughs> out of them. <laughs> 11 and two. Uh, as you mentioned, there's kind of just two MVP candidates at this point, KD and Steph. Uh, God, Steph Curry just doesn't get old. It's amazing to watch. Um, and we mentioned this in previous podcasts, just like needing to hang around until Wiseman and Clay came back. They're doing more than just hanging around. Like, I don't want to say that those two are expendable, but like, oh, they're going to be so much better when those two come back. Even if Wiseman and Clay are even like a fraction of what we've seen in the past. Wiseman's still ascending, obviously. Yeah. Great young player. Clay hasn't played a game in two and a half years. What is he going to be like? We'll see. But oh man. It's, I feel like it's only going to get better, and that's got to be exciting. Yeah. Uh, I really like the wing versatility. Uh, they brought up Kaminga from the uh, – whatever you call it, the G League, the D League, whatever it is nowadays. Yeah. Uh, he's playing some really – I mean, limited minutes, but I really liked his upside in the draft, obviously, when you're sec- seventh overall. Um, but he's playing some really, really good defense. And I feel like when you have the superstars that they have, you just have to find complementary pieces, and they go so mm-hmm. deep into their bench – and they just get like, you know, one thing from one guy, one thing from another guy, one thing from this guy. And as a collective unit, it's winning basketball regardless of who's on the floor. Yeah. So it's it's great to watch Steve Kerr, obviously. It's uh, really, I can't say easy when you have, uh, you know, a, a player like Steph. It makes life easier for sure. But he's just getting a lot of players that, you know, no one gave a chance to or didn't find a fit for. And Steve Kerr is just plugging in the right pieces. He's doing everything that he can do as a head coach to make him really, really good. And the final note that I have is shout out to Andrew Wiggins, uh, 18 points a game, which isn't close to where he's been in the past. You know, he scored like 23 a game with the Wolves. Uh, I think it was like two or three years into his career, but highest shooting percentage, 47% from the field. So Vax Wiggins giving them a, a, a lot and, uh, oh, man, that game against the Timberwolves was really exciting. Those two put-back dunks. Yeah. Over, well, I guess one of them was a baseline drive, but the other one, oh, man. And that's always going to be a personal game for him. Has to be, yeah. yeah. First in the NBA in steals, first in the NBA in assists. That's Steve Kerr basketball, folks. First in the NBA in points per game. It's a two-horse race for MVP with KD and Steph, and it's a two-horse race for Coach of the Year with Billy Donovan and Steve Kerr. And my, my personal taste in basketball, I'm not saying this, there's so many ways to do it, right? But my favorite kind of basketball is Steve Kerr basketball. And I'm talking like pre and post KD, because like KD was unbelievable. At times he was a ball stopper and that's okay because like you want him to do what he does. But this version of the Warriors team is looking a lot like the old version of the Warriors team, you know, that rattled off 73 wins and who knows, they're going to get more than 60. They're going to get more than 60 this year. Uh, We'll see how good they are, especially when Clay gets back. But like 
this is a recipe for success. And this is my favorite kind of basketball to watch because they have so many dudes who are playmakers. Uh, Draymond Green, man, he's doing like eight, eight and eight. And so he's leading the way with a 7.1 assist per game. Steph just behind him at 6.7. And then you have another talented playmaker in Jordan Poole, another uh, guy with great vision in Andre Iguodala, and uh, Gary Payton Jr., who's been a tremendous pickup defensively for them. And so, I mean, I look at this Warriors team, and they're just doing everything the right way. And the IQ of Steph and Draymond – their ability to manipulate the defense just by being in different places in different times and knowing where all the other guys are on the floor and especially what they can do together when they're on the floor, um, just having years and years of chemistry. And it's such a beautiful combination. Everyone talked about, you know, Steph and Clay, but we don't talk enough about Steph and Draymond because they're complete polar opposites but they make each other so much better because you give Steph this enforcer. Steph's weakness might be defense, is defense. Draymond's weakness, offense, right? He's not a great scorer. So to have them on the same team together, we're witnessing uh, just like this beautiful yin-yang. And I I just don't have enough good things to say about the Warriors. And I'm going to root for them forever, man. Like this is this is a team. I remember my first ever episode of Running with the Bulls podcast. All right, uh, or it wasn't even a podcast; it was the radio show. And so Steve Kerr wasn't even a he uh, didn't have a year under his belt. He was coming in as an analyst. I said, "This guy's going to be one of the best coaches of all time." Take that to the bank, and you can see that he has these elements of uh, the guys who coached him up, whether it be Lenny Wilkins with the Cavs. Uh, Who's the Arizona guy? Lute Olson with Arizona, uh, Greg Popovich with the Spurs, and Phil Jackson with the Bulls. Like, this is a guy who is a savant, and he does such a great job taking these old-school coaches and applying modern principles. And that's where you see, like, elements of the triangle offense, but it's more perimeter-oriented. I think he's the best play designer in the NBA. I don't think it's close. And I think that at times, like people really kind of like knocked on him, especially on social media. And it offended me, Kurt. I took that personally. <laughs> I don't like to see it. So thank you for attending my TED talk on Steve Kerr and the Warriors. Yeah, heck of a basketball game tonight. Nets, Warriors in Brooklyn. Going to be exciting. Who do you think is going to win? Man, come on. You, it doesn't matter who's on Kevin Durant's team. I'm going Kevin Durant. I think the every, Nets are going to win too. Every single it, – it's like the Tom Brady effect. Will he be on the best team? Will he be the best prepared? Will, you know, things fall their way? Who knows? But I'm rolling with the best player until they prove me wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, how's that for analysis? I I, I think that uh, the Warriors will make it real interesting. 118-115. Nets win. That's what I'm I was going to say they're favored by three, but a lot of that happens just because they're the home team. I feel yeah. like home favorites usually get the uh, the minus three in the sports book. Damn. Do you know what the uh, over-under is on total points? I wonder how close I was on that. Ooh, you said 118-115? Yeah. Let's so that would look. be 238? Is yeah, that math? You have the no, line. 233. Yeah. 
222. Oh, I'm taking the over. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't I can't uh, legally bet uh, in the great state of North Dakota. And so I've been texting my dad who can legally bet. And I'm just giving him my picks. I'm like, hey, here's what I like for tonight. Yesterday, my picks were uh, batting a thousand. I hit hit on a six leg parlay and uh, three singles. So not bad. Not a bad night at the office. Uh, tonight, I'm going to tell him to hit the over there. And if you're listening, I'm telling you, hit the over. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised that it's that low, 222. Yeah, yeah, me too. That seems like a no-brainer. Then again, you know why it's that low is because the Warriors are only allowing 102 points per game. But these are no mere mortals they're playing. It's, it's Kevin Durant and James Harden. They're yeah. going to find their way to get some buckets. So this is going to be a high-scoring game. It's going to be a good game. Uh, and you know what else is good, my friend? Symbol. That's right. Symbol is like the stock market. It allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. There are two ways to make money on Symbol. First, every time your team win, uh, team you own wins, you earn cash. You win that payout. Second, it's just like the stock market. If you think a team is going to increase in their value, if you were all up on the Wizards uh, and you're ready to sell now before they slide and lose their next seven games, sell, 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 baby, and use that promo code SD to make your first deposit risk-free. That means you lose money or just decide the market isn't for you. Symbol will refund your initial deposit. No questions asked. Use that promo code SD. Symbol, baby. All right, moving on. Uh, Spotify Green Room. It's great, man. Live audio only sports talk platform. Talk to me and Kurt, get in the conversation. Uh, share your own experience on the app and your chance to be featured on the Hoopstradamus podcast. Uh, you just got to download the app, create a profile, uh, follow me on Twitter at FargoFoo, uh, Hoopstradamus Pod, Hoopstradamus PC. We're on social media. Anyway, moving right along into uh, that that concludes our power rankings and so we already talked a lot about the wizards uh, do you, i mean do we have anything more to say other than that they're imposters yeah i don't think so um unless you do no man i i i accidentally like said everything i wanted to say they're imposters folks i don't buy it not real they're lizards and i will continue to call them lizards until proven otherwise i want to see a dna test uh, they're cold blooded, but not in the right way in, in, in a more lizard way, they're lizards. And so, uh, there's a lack of true magic right now. It's all just smoke and mirrors. So that takes us to, uh, some comeback moments. Kurt, this was your idea. I thought it was a very good idea, a very fun idea. And, uh, you had some really good ones right off the bat. So I'm going to let you take the lead here. Well, uh, we need to create a little bit of background here. So looking at the Alex Caruso video that, yeah. the Laker, that the Lakers showed him when the Bulls made the trip to L.A. And, you know, love Alex Caruso, one of the guys that I think you kind of have to root for. And obviously tremendous athleticism. He's 6'5". But when he's out on the court, he just looks like everyone else. Like he, he looks like a guy that you'd see playing pickup basketball at the park. So I think that part of the allure of Alex Caruso is he looks like every dude who has tried to play basketball. Yeah. Just a very, just a very relatable guy. Tremendous. If, if like Elmer Fudd and George Costanza had a baby. Would, <laughs> that's what he'd look like. And, and Elmer Fudd wore the headband in Space Jam too. Yeah. 
Yes, yes, he did. I'm remembering that. Yeah, <laughs> Alex Caruso a little bit more fit than uh, Rod <laughs> was. But I think uh, that's going to be the the picture for this like episode, uh, yeah. a side by side. With like Elmer Fudd doing the Sky Man with Caruso, who wore it better? <laughs> yeah, it's a exactly. It's it's a good comparison. So um, I'm looking at that, and I just think that first of all, hilarious gesture from the Lakers, but at the same time, how is Caruso world champion with them? Yeah. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, in, in terms of best returns, maybe. But then, okay, you got to go deep into the book for that. And there are a handful of people who have made returns and, you know, how impactful was it? So we're just kind of putting a little spin on this and it's comeback moments, you know, whether you want to interpret that as literally coming back to old stopping grounds or, you know, just comeback moments as a whole that stand out in terms of, oh, you know, this player or this team should not have been in the position that they were ultimately at given yeah. circumstances. Yeah, creative license allowed with comeback. So uh, I have a list of five, Adam. Do you have a list of five? I got a list of four. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll take the number five then, and then we'll just go back and forth after that. Okay. Um, so my number five, and there's kind of a theme to my list. I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball in here at number four. Uh, number five, Willis Reed, torn quad in the 1970 NBA Finals. Wow, that's uh, num- my number five, too. I've decided quite, to add it to my list. Okay. Uh, <laughs> played in game seven after suffering the injury in game five, so missing game six. Now, the reason, obviously, it's a very historical moment yeah. in the NBA. A lot of people, you know, when you think Willis Reed, you obviously think of just that that one thing. That's the first thing that comes to mind, uh, given the historical context of w- what we're talking about. Now, the reason I don't have it higher is he just scored two baskets. Yeah, so, he, he came in, got his buckets, and then sat his broken yeah. ass down. Yeah, two for two. Having said that, playing the game of basketball is tough enough. Doing it on a torn quad, I can't imagine. But yeah. I think that there are some more deserving folks uh, higher on the list. So Willis Reed at number five, comeback moment. Yeah, so I, I like how you kind of gave the intro to this because I definitely took creative license on this. So, like, comeback can mean so many different things. Um, my number four, then, is uh, a, a literal comeback to the NBA. And I remember when I was, like, nine, ten years old, and I was really watching the NBA regularly. I was playing the NBA video games. I was hooked, right? But I was just a little too young to have, like, really remembered in detail Michael Jordan. And so uh, for my 10th birthday, I got to go to Washington, D.C. and see Michael Jordan play against the Milwaukee Bucks. It was extremely cool. But I remember how hard it was living in Chicago to get tickets to Bulls Wizards. Because, and and if you go to Bulls Wizards, people are cheering for the Bulls, all right? (laughs) Like their allegiances lied elsewhere. And I think that is incredibly cool that this guy had a following that like Michael Jordan was bigger than the bulls and rightfully so Scotty Pippen regular listener, not happy about this at all. Not happy about this. Uh, Jealous. (laughs) But I can't even, I don't even want to go there anyway. (laughs) Um, But you know, like to even get tickets to bulls wizards, you had to buy multiple tickets you know, to like these different games and because they knew people would do it. Uh, 
but it was incredibly interesting to see that and also what that represents. Like Jordan wanted ownership, part ownership of the Bulls. They could have kept him. And then he had really bad blood with, you know, the Jerry's, Reinsdorf and Kraus. And so he's like, all right, cool. Going to Washington. And um, there is a moment I remember, and I can't remember the year or whatever it was, but young Ron Artest is going up. And Ron Artest and Jordan, like, had this kind of little rivalry because Ron Artest was one of the best defenders in the year of the league. Jordan knew this. He took that personally. And, uh, you know, Ron Artest going up for uh, the game-winning layup. At the time, I thought this was goaltending. Now in my more advanced age, I understand the greatness that I was witnessing. So (laughs) Jordan's old ass jumps up and catches the ball. He blocked the shot with two hands. (laughs) Ron Artest going up to put the the ball in the hoop. (laughs) Jordan comes out of nowhere. Nope. Not today, young young blood. And he comes down and the game is over. And the Wizards have won. And um, it was just so cool to see in then how damn good he was. He got hurt at the end, but Jordan came back. He was an old man and he was the best. He was the best. Uh, well, not the best, but like he was he was giving everyone buckets. So uh Jordan's Wizards return is my number four. All right, my number four. I, I grouped them together, um, so maybe that's a little bit of a cop-out. Um, I have T-Mac 30, uh, 13 points in 33 seconds. Wow. And then Reggie Miller, 8 points in 8 seconds. Beautifully done. So, it like, the Reggie Miller one, I I want to give, like, a little less credit to, even though, you know, that's a point a second, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I believe it was just three possessions, and a lot had to go right for them. Whereas T-Mac was just like, listen, I'm sick and tired of losing. Give me the basketball and I'm going to get you four straight trips up the floor when I'm going to make insane shots. Yeah. So I'm going with uh, Tracy McGrady a little bit higher, you know, call this a a 4A and a 4B. Um, But just, you know, teams that had no business winning those games. And T-Mac and Reggie Miller putting together the, the two maybe hottest stretches and just such a short period of time uh god if you haven't seen those clips watch them they're unbelievable shout out to uh devin brown of the spurs for turning it over so that team could have that one last shot yeah special moments man and um shout out to john starks who is my least favorite player of all time and (laughs) he missed both those free throws so choke artist Reggie gave him one of these. I'm doing a choking signal, folks. If you're listening, I'm doing a choking signal. So love to see it. Love to see it. Uh, Number three for me, and I think this is on your list too, because you you totally inspired me on this one. It it was a great pick, something you brought up. But Alonzo Mourning, who was the – he was an answer to a question in the full court trap. He The question essentially was who's the second all-time leading scorer for the Miami Heat. And it's oh, a great question. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, Wade passed him up. Alonzo played for the Heat from 96 uh, to 2001 and then briefly played for the uh, New Jersey Nets. Now, Alonzo, like, he had a, a kidney disease and he didn't play at all in 2002, 2003. 
And then he never really returned to true form. But you said it was a transplant. You know, the guy gets a, a kidney transplant and comes back and is able to play into his late 30s and be a very key part of helping the Miami Heat win their first NBA championship when he was a um, he was the backup for Shaquille O'Neal. And it was such a problem in those lineups that would trot those guys out together. Uh, but Alonzo Mourning, a truly remarkable career, and that's one of the greatest comeback stories in the history of sports. Uh, I don't have it on my list, but – yeah, I mean it's it's tremendous. You can go. I mean, we just I have five. You said you have four, so a total of nine. Maybe there's some crossover here, but I mean, th- there's a ton of people that you can put on this list. It's very difficult to make, but uh, yeah, I mean, certainly a deserving story for sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my number three. I'm just gonna list off these injuries here, Adam. I'm going Sean Livingston. Oh man, so Gloria's very own chance that his leg would be amputated like think about that for a second so sprained mcl dislocated two joints tore his acl pcl and his meniscus so the knee just non-existent nothing keeping that guy in place and then comes back three titles in four years with the golden state warrior so not only like okay we're going to get back on the court but we're going to be a very critical part to one of the best dynasties the league has ever seen. Yeah. Sean Livingston. Great pick. Lockdown defender, versatile player. And, um, man, he's one of my favorite players for sure. Uh, I always root for the Illinois guys. Like I mentioned, he came I – want, I want to say he went to Peoria Central. Uh, one of the goats of uh, Illinois basketball. And when, you know, he like started to slow down, so did the Warriors. One of the most important role players ever. So great pick there. Now, my number one is a bit of a cop out because this dude was already on the list. But let's talk about a press release. All right. (laughs) Two words. I'm back. And that rocked the world, baby. That rocked the world. And when you have that kind of clout, when you can just say, and this has to be number one, because how can anything else top this? Like you step away from basketball for a year and a half. You play baseball. You send a press release that just says, I'm back. And then you come back, kind of shake some rust off, losing the uh, playoffs that year. But then you go back and win it out until you retire. In that shot, you know, Jordan could have hung it up there. Then he wouldn't be on my, on my number four. But, oh, I think I missed one. I've, I, I I definitely skipped one. I think I skipped my number two. My bad. Number we'll two. Back to it. Yeah, yeah, we can circle back. Yeah, we, we can circle back because we're, we're going out of order, I guess. We're at my number one. But for Jordan to come back from playing a different sport and then three-peat again, like – one of the categories, once again, really pumping our own uh, stuff today on the full court trap was MJ or LeBron. Like, if you think LeBron's better than Jordan, bro, the dude won three in a row twice. Like, come on, man. Like, the dude. Oh, yeah. So, um, the I'm back 
it's just badass. But then everything that happened after it is even more impressive. And beat four? I don't know. Is Sean Kemp a Hall of Famer? But you uh, know, I don't think so. I don't think so either. But you know, Peyton is the glove is. I'm pretty sure the glove uh, beat some really good Pacers teams, and uh, you know, beat Stockton Malone twice when they were at the peak of their powers, arguably. Uh, unbelievable. It's the rest is history. We've all seen the last dance. So my number two, Adam, I'm going to go in order and this one. Oh, it's got a soft spot in my heart here. Paul Pierce, you're going to be stabbed 11 times in the year 2000, a month before the season starts. So late September, going to compete in 82 games, all 82 that season, despite almost dying 25 points a game, 38 minutes a game after punctured lung and a cut on his eye where everything was blurry. Adam, how does that happen? I mean, you get guys that want to do your load management now. Oh, I got a, a sore knee. Stabbed yeah. 11 times. Yeah. And became a Hall of Famer. Paul Pierce, yeah. what a comeback. Great pick. Great pick. If you almost die and then play a full season a month later, unbelievable. Have you seen the um, Dave Chappelle skit where they're doing like, because people will be like Kobe when they shoot something in the trash can or whatever, but Chappelle did one where they're like saying an athlete's name, but when they're doing something off the court, so he gets like pulled over smoking weed and he goes, Rashid Wallace, (laughs) you know, there's one, he's getting stabbed and he goes, Paul Pierce, (laughs) it's horrible. (laughs) <laughs> to make light of that but it was it was dave chappelle man the world couldn't handle dave chappelle right now but yeah one of the best yeah absolute legend uh but yeah dude and, and paul pierce was i i'm i mean you're you're the celtics fan here where does he rank among the best celtics ever like he's probably he's got to be up there man Oh boy. I got Russell and bird. Yeah. Like those, those two are above him for sure. Yeah. Uh, He's second on the all time scoring list there behind Havlicek. I, in in terms of like, man, I put Havlicek ahead of him too. I I think bird number one. Yeah. Uh, Just because like, what an icon. And bird was obviously at like the top of his game. uh, One of the best in his era. And I think that that is kind of the the one thing that you can kind of look at Paul Pierce and be like, okay, as good as he was, he, you know, probably wasn't putting up the numbers of a, a Kobe, a Shaq, an Iverson for a short period of time there, Tracy McGrady. Um, so kind of like a victim of his own circumstance there. Uh, didn't really define his era the way that others did. Um, so yeah, I, I'd probably go Bird one, Bill Russell two, just because of the championships, granted – Less teams, less talent, easier to do it. Um, but yeah, Paul Pierce, I, I think, and this is kind of a, an unfortunate situation, but just one NBA title. Um, definitely could have won multiple with those superstar teams with Ray Allen and uh, Rondo and KG there, had everybody stayed healthy. But, you know, got his one championship in the 2007 2008 season. Um, and then, yeah, second on the all time all time scoring list with the team. So, uh, you know, has better numbers than Bird in certain categories. Yeah. But uh, in terms of overall impact, yeah, I'd go 
Bird Russell, Paul Pierce. Wow. Okay. So I had a Honda. All right. Not big on the old guys. Food, yeah, yeah. You're not big on the old guys. That's okay. Not big on the old guys. So this one has a special place in my heart because uh, this is probably my favorite player of all time, Derek Rose. And uh, I'll never forget it. It was, I, I was in Great Falls, Montana, and I had a, I had a lady over and I ignored her. I ignored her because Derek Rose was dropping 50 on Halloween night. And she never saw me again, Kurt. She never saw me again. I don't blame her. But, you know, a man's got priorities. And I'm married to the game. And Derek Rose was just straight cooking. And to do this against the Utah Jazz, the team that traded for him only to release him when the Cavs were done with him. And then you got to think about the fallout, like how dark of a place he must have been where he had to step away from the game. He had these life-changing, not just career-changing, but like life-changing injuries at such a young age. And not just the physical comeback, but the mental comeback that comes with that. It's incredibly impressive, especially in an age where we're talking a lot more about mental health and rightfully so. I can't imagine the dark places Derrick Rose was to go from the youngest MVP in history to a guy who's like getting shipped off for spare parts by the Cleveland Cavaliers and basically the league, they gave up on him. And so for this guy to, you know, Thibodeau gives him another chance and then he does 50 against the team that didn't even give him a chance to be on the floor. Like why, why wouldn't, if you put Derek Rose in the Jordan Clarkson role right now, like it would work just fine. Utah didn't even give him a shot. So to do that against them and, what people might not remember is he had the game winning block closing out on the three point shot on that game. And so it was a special moment and I was moved to like tears watching him in the post game. Like he did, he couldn't even like gather himself for words. And he just said, like, I work my ass off, man. And you can see like there's tears in his eyes. There's a guy who's like very soft spoken, doesn't always have a lot to say, but he always speaks from the heart. And to see him in the, the emotion that he had uh, to accomplish that and to help the Timberwolves get that win, it was just incredibly uh, amazing to see. And now Derrick Rose is never going to be like MVP Rose again, but he's absolutely back. He's a very good player in this league, and he can make a case that he's the best player on the New York Knicks. I, I, I'd probably go Randall, but in the playoffs last year, Derrick Rose was the best player on the Knicks. So uh, that's my number two. D Rose coming back for 50 against the team that didn't even give him a shot. And uh, that's his career high. And one of the signature moments of his career and uh, represents one of the greatest comebacks from an injury in NBA history, multiple injuries. So the only similarity we have then is our number one, Adam because I also have Michael Jordan returning in 1995. Beautiful. So, uh, you, you touched on a lot of it, so I'm just going to throw in a couple nuggets that I had that are a little bit different. So a year and a half away from the game, playing baseball, and one of the things that stands out, and it was mentioned in the documentary, is the difference between staying in shape for baseball and staying in shape for basketball. Right. Much, much different. So to get back into shape and to, you know, you already rattled off a three-peat, 
I, there's conflicting reports as to why he left. You know, I'll, I'll leave that up to interpretation. But you're away from the game for a year and a half. Come back in 95, 17 games. And our uh, Hoopstradamus Sports Research Department chairman, Josh, <laughs> I, I, I hope I get this right. 55-point game against the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, which I believe at the time was the highest point total in that building just five games into his return. Wow. So, I mean, that that's a tremendous stat in and of itself. And then you come back the following season, 96, you get another 3 P. So one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic sports figures alive today. Yeah. Can't beat it to find the game. Might as well be the logo. Sorry, Jerry West. It's worth over a billion dollars. He yeah. is, uh, yeah. I mean, he owns a team now. He owned the league in the 90s. So, um, yeah. Now, uh, last thing we have on here is uh, some some tampering stuff. I do want to touch briefly, uh, as long as we got on this Michael Jordan stuff, the Scottie Pippen, dude. Like, this, the Scottie Pippen stuff is insane to me. It's so and, petty. Uh, yeah. So, here, here's the quote. I may go as far to say Mike ruined basketball, Pippen writes in his new memoir. In the 80s, on the playgrounds, you'd have everyone moving the ball around, passing to help the team. That stopped in the 90s. Kids wanted to be like Mike. Well, Mike didn't want to pass, didn't want to rebound or defend the best player. He wanted everything done for him. This is blasphemy. Go off, Phil. Jealous. Bruh. He was already the best player in the league when he joined the team. He was already a superstar. Didn't play defense. He was on nine all defensive teams. You were on eight. That's good. Maybe they wanted you to guard the best player because you were a damn good defender. So, like, there's a chance to give yourself some credit instead of throwing shade at the GOAT like an idiot. Scotty Pippen is out here trying to peddle his new whiskey, which apparently he's been, you know, getting high on his own supply, man, because this dude must be drunk to be saying things like this, to be saying that Michael Jordan, who took the game to a global level, who is, in my opinion, the undisputed greatest basketball player of all time. There's a reason people wanted to be like Mike. And you know what you don't want to be like? whether it's in sports or anything else, Scotty Pippen, a jealous a-hole at this point out here, like taking, trying to take down. It's like, it's like, what are you doing, bro? You're trying to take down your teammate because you like, you wanted more credit. Like there was a whole episode on you on the documentary. Was that not enough? Is it not enough to be a top five small forward of all time? You have to say that Jordan wouldn't have become a superstar without you. You have to say that Jordan, who won defensive player of the year, the same year he won MVP, all-star game MVP, and the dunk contest, and the scoring title, wouldn't have been a superstar without you. Didn't play defense. Bro, were you there? I think you were. Did you forget? Did you did you not go back and watch the film? This is the same dude who wouldn't go in. Who wouldn't go in? Because 
he doesn't get to take the last second shot because Tony Kukoc, who's someone who's a better shooter than him, got to knock down the game winner against the Knicks. This isn't a playoff game. Scotty, if you are listening, and I know you're a loyal listener, Scotty, you're you're out of control, bro. Take a seat. If you got to, you know, like delete your Twitter, delete your Instagram, do whatever you got to do, deactivate that stuff temporarily. What do you ever have to do? Have a nice whiskey on the rocks of your new digits whiskey. And I want you to go get a copy of your memoir and I want you to rip it up. I want you to rip it up into pieces because this is blasphemy. This is not okay. It is just off the hinges, man. I cannot take anything he says seriously anymore. And as a Bulls fan, it breaks my heart. I have a Scotty Pippen t-shirt, a player t-shirt. And you know where it is, Kurt? It's my storage closet. You know Mm. why? Because I'm not going to burn it. I'm not going to burn it. But I'd like to at this point. And I never thought I'd say something like that. Because on the court, Scotty Pippen is one of my favorite players of all time. Unbelievable talent. Unbelievable playmaker, defender. One of the best all-around players right now. If you put him in today's league, he'd be a problem. He'd be an MVP candidate. But to say all these things and say, oh, and by the way, LeBron James is the best player of all time. I've always thought that. No, you didn't, man. You want more credit because you're insecure. You got to chill out. You got to chill out. And that I think that's my rant. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where if he put out his own documentary, would it get the same level of attention and views? Probably not. It, it's no. just, he, yeah, he, there's always, you know, two sides to a story. I'm sure that not everything that was portrayed in that documentary was accurate, but that's why you give your two cents or you don't, you know, you kind of just let it go. Because at this point, he's only hurting his legacy. He's only hurting his fan base. It's it's not yeah. getting better for him. Exactly. And, you know, he's been very rude in some of these in, uh, interviews. Like he had the Dan Patrick interview a couple months ago. And I'm like, dude, first of all, like Dan Patrick, in my opinion, is the best. He, I think he is the, the top of the mountain as far as the very best at conducting interviews with athletes. And Dan Patrick is the goat. And so to be that disrespectful for, to someone who's like having you on his show and say, like, can you not hear me? Like, dude, show some respect. Like, it's a bad look. And um, I think he's gone through all sorts of like personal stuff, but like, got to keep it professional, bro. You are not helping yourself. And it's a shame because his, his numbers in the rafters for a reason, but that's all I got to say on that, but we couldn't not touch on it. Uh, so next we got some, some tampering stuff and uh, long story short, man, NBA continues this investigation on Lonzo ball and Kyle Lowry uh, with the bulls in the Miami heat. I, uh, I think it's stupid. Why don't you uh, provide some context? Yeah. It, I mean, it is totally stupid. But I, I think the thing that stands out to me, and it, it's just I have to wait and see. Um, I don't really think much of it at this point. So the, the reason why we're talking about it is we're just curious as what makes the situation bigger than any of the other deals that have been made in the past. So I think that it's very safe to say, and I don't want to say every organization because I don't talk to every organization. Safe to say that everyone talks before yeah. free agency or a trade period. Agents 
players, we all know that like during the all-star break when players are in the hallway or the locker room, Hey, you know, come, come join my team. You know, what do you think like, LeBron's doing every time he talks, he plays against another superstar and pulls his Jersey over his mouth. Hey man, yeah. you want to get tacos after the game? No, dude. Yeah. So like, there's obviously stuff that happens at that level all the time. Um, I'm just curious to see what the penalty is. And I, I think it depends on where the league goes because I've seen reports from sports illustrated where it's like, you know, the organization can face fines. It's $10 million. You can lose draft picks. And that's something that we touched on uh, via text outside of the show is the Bucks, I believe, lost a second round pick trying to get Bogdanovich, who ultimately signed with the Hawks. So, like, there is a level of precedent there. But when you look at, like, what could happen versus what will happen or should happen or maybe might not even happen – I, I don't think that it's wise to look at the harshest of penalties with this. So I'm curious to see what yeah. the penalty is just be, you know, based on what has been listed as discipline. Um, but I think one of the things that stands out is I could see fines. I could see a loss of picks or loss of a pick singular, but when they're talking about voiding contracts, that's insane. I, think, I think that that is an area where the NBA does not even want to touch because yeah. there would be, a huge issue with the league executives uh players obviously like it will bite you in the ass so hard on the next cba too yeah so i I think it's just it's a touchy subject for sure but it's one of those things where the nba has to kind of like tread lightly here yeah Uh, because i feel like and you know who knows the the details of it these were two sign and trade deals that happened um, I don't make much of it. It's probably going to be a slap on the wrist, if anything. But when you start talking about voiding contracts and, okay, what happens with, with Lonzo and Kyle Lowry, you're not going to kick them off their teams. Yeah. They're already there. Yeah. And, like, so, do you really want to bite the hand that feeds you if you're the league office right now? Like, you have two of the most important franchises in NBA history in the Miami Heat, and especially when you consider, like, where Dwayne Wade brought them because they're a relatively new franchise. They came in in 1988, but the success they've had in such a short amount of time and the multiple championships they've won. And the fact that they were just in a double or I almost said WNBA, uh, the the fact that they were in the NBA finals not so long ago, and now are better than that team and have a legitimate chance to uh, get back to the finals, maybe win. They need some luck on that. And then you have the bulls who are, in my opinion, the best team in the East right now, like you're going to bite the hand that feeds you. Chicago is also a huge market. So it's good for basketball. It's good for the NBA. It sells tickets. It makes money. Are you going to uh, like shoot yourself in the foot by voiding Lonzo Ball's contract in all the, the hype machine that is the Ball brothers? Foolish, foolish. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, strip him of a draft pick that's already too much this happens like you said but if you void contracts man you are going to open a can of worms that uh i can't even fathom i don't even know what that would look like but there would be outrage and it and that's too far you want to talk about tampering that is tampering when you take a player off a team who's off to a 10 and three start and you say, Hey, your point guard's not on your team anymore. That is tampering. That is tampering with the team's identity. That is tampering with the team's success. And that is undoing the work that, that 
was laid out. Like this isn't college basketball. This isn't a recruiting violation. This is a professional athlete. And these are grown men and they have the right to make decisions. And when you try to take that right away from them, because you didn't follow this due process that is living in the gray area in the first place, it is a lack of priorities. It is bad for the league. And to, to put it bluntly, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah, we'll see what happens with this. And that's why I, I don't want to jump too much into it. But I haven't seen, I think the last thing that comes to mind in terms of everyone being in agreement of like, yo, the league is, you know, needs to chill is when they block the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers for the sake of parody and the sake of, oh, you know, the Lakers would be too good. Yeah. And, it, and that was the NBA technically owned the uh, New Orleans team at the time too. So that is right. a little different because they're, they were like, that was like, you know, if you are forcing a trade in 2k almost, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, they don't have an owner. Let's get Chris Paul, you know? Sure. And even then that was dicey. Yeah. So depending on what happens with this, I, I, I just see a little bit of similarity there in terms of everyone being like, what the heck are we talking about? Yeah. Why is this a big deal? What, you know? So We'll see what yeah. happens. Like Goran Dragic is on the Raptors. Like Sadoransky and Garrett Temple are like, they're on the Pelicans. Like they made the trades, dude. Like you're just going to go back and undo that. Like it didn't follow the Duke process. Like get over it, dude. Sometimes it doesn't like move on, move on. Maybe I'm biased. I think it's so stupid. So stupid. And I especially want this to wrap. What, I want yeah, this especially. Especially given what happens regularly, it'd be one thing if this was an isolated situation, but it happens all the time. When you have free agent announcements where the window is what twelve oh one Eastern, yeah, and you have deals being reported at twelve oh two, come on, you're not getting a deal done in a minute. Yeah, not. like, do you really think that you know, like, what do you think they did? All right, let's get Woj on speakerphone. All right, now I'm going to call Lonzo. Okay, all right, cool. All right, Lonzo, you're on speakerphone. We got Woj here too. Uh, would you like to ex- to uh, accept our contract offer? Here's several million dollars. Here's some bonuses, all right? Uh, you want to accept that right now? You have a minute and 20. Oh, you accepted. Beautiful. Woj, go ahead and tweet that out. That's not how it happens, dude. No, there's so many things that go into contracts, like stuff that you can't even imagine. So I know looking over, this is, you know, I don't want to get uh, too out in the weeds here. But, you know, looking at some of the coaches at Nevada who have come here and just looking at the stuff that's in their contracts, talking about loaner cars, uh, bonuses, given how the team plays. And yeah, I imagine there's performance incentives for athletes out there, too. I mean, these these contracts are pages and pages and pages long. You're going to have the player. I mean, maybe the player doesn't look at it. Maybe it's just discussed with the agent. But like definitely there are multiple sets of eyes on it. And it's not just a, a once over oh yeah, cool. We're locking you into a four-year deal and it's only taken a minute. So I know that that's free agency. These are sign and trades, a little bit different process here, but this stuff happens all the time. I don't think much of it. I think it's ridiculous. It's even news, but it's a talking point because it apparently just gets further and further and further in the stages and they're getting more serious. So the only reason they're even looking at it, in my opinion, is because these are trades that were going to happen at the deadline that didn't happen. And so then the NBA is like, Ooh, 
and keep an eye on this one. We can wield some authority for the sake of wielding authority. Let's do it. Or it's or it's just sour grapes with other execs where they're like, oh, wait a minute. We don't like the fact that the Heat got better. We don't like the fact that the Bulls got better. We wanted Lonzo. We wanted Kyle Lowry. And it, it might, you know, might be uh, some snitches out there, Adam. Yep. Snitches snitches, man. All right. Yeah. yeah. On that note, Scotty Pippen, if you're listening, get it together, man. Uh, Kurt, any closing thoughts? No, I think we touched on all of it. All of it and more. Yeah. <laughs> Longer episode than we intended, but a, a banger, if I do say so myself. Real good one today. Uh, so shout out to the Wax Cowboy. If you're looking to get some graphic design work done, uh, hit up Evan, the Wax Cowboy, on Instagram. Uh, as always, if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating. Maybe write a kind review. Uh, maybe leave us a, a, a little poem. And we'll read it on the show if you leave, leave us a poem uh, in the reviews section. And, uh, yeah, go ahead and listen to the Full Court Trap. That will be coming out later than this episode. I'm going to post this pretty much like now. Uh, the Full Court Trap takes a couple days to edit. So, anyway, thank you so much. And uh, happy pooping, my friends. We look forward to talking to you soon.